Good morning. Now you can clap. Sorry, is that awkward? Like, should I clap now? Hey, if you have said yes to Jesus, uh, your next obedient step is to be baptized. Um, and so we would love for you to do that. We have a pretty good crew already signed up. It's going to be awesome next week. One of my favorite things to do, be a part of a baptism service. But if you have not been baptized, uh, we can get you plugged in. We would love for you to be a part of that. So uh, all you need to do is just go to the information counter right outside of the doors and just say, hey, I would like to be baptized next week. And they'll tell you how to do it and what needs to happen and go from there. So everybody doing okay? You good this morning? Yep. All right, show some energy. Hey, a few years ago, we as a leadership team sat down and began to ask, uh, what, are, what are we all about as a church? How do we want to do ministry? What does ministry look like here at Grace? Why do we do what we do? And what really began is a process of asking one question. If someone were to walk in your office and ask you, what do I need to do to grow spiritually? How would you answer the question? And what we found is everybody on staff had an answer. But all of our answers were quite different. Uh, there was just a different variance of, of how we would answer the question, and we realized that that was a bit of a problem. So using that question as a catalyst, we spent about a year and a half asking ourselves, what is it that is imperative in the Christian walk to help somebody to continue to grow, whether they are new to Jesus or have been walking with Jesus for 20 years? And what came out of that is something that we call the six essentials, six essentials. And I'm going to walk through them real fast, but uh, the idea the idea here is that you need all of these essentials in your life. All of them together make up this uh, dynamic of walking faithfully with God and growing in your walk. And the first of the six essentials is the gather. And that's what we would call the Sunday morning experience or the weekend experience, the gather. Uh, so, so that's important. I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. The second of the six essentials is connect. And here's what I often say and what I believe. You cannot walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation. It can't be done. You need people in your life encouraging. You need people in your life uh, uh, praying for you. You need people challenging you. If you were to read the Bible and look for everywhere in the New Testament where there is a one another command and ask yourself, how many of these can I do on Sunday? And how many of these need to me to be in a smaller group? You'd find that most of the one another commands require something more intimate than the Sunday morning experience. So the second is that you connect. That's why we put such an emphasis on groups here Grace. So one of the things I wanted to do when I got to this portion of talking about the six essentials is give you a chance to meet some people who can help you to get connected. So I got some friends that are going to come up on the stage. Meg, I guess she's more than a friend. She's also my wife. And Allie, uh, Ryan, and I think Sandy's coming up as well. Um, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and uh, share with you uh, a few different ways that you can get connected. And here's what I would say. These are just a couple of the ways. If you were to go to our website, you'll find that there's more and more opportunities for you to connect beyond Sunday morning, and it's critical. So Meg, uh, if you want to start, that'd be great. Good morning. I'm Meg Kempton, and I'm the group's coordinator here at Grace. And I guess I would say it's um, key to experience the fullness of the body of Christ to be connected with others. And I'm excited that we have many groups to offer here at Grace, um, specifically C groups. Uh, we have them, they meet online and they meet in person, they meet in the evening, um, they meet on the weekend. So there is a group for all of you. And you can get more information on that uh, by stopping at the community corner after the service. Uh, I'll be there. Or you can go online um, at gracewire.com. Hi. Hi, I'm Sandy. I'm the group's coach. And I just want to tell you about uh, D groups. D groups are deeper dive groups. So if you want to get um, deeper in your relationship with uh, Jesus, if you want to get deeper in a relationship with your brothers and sisters, then D groups may be the group for you. And we're going to have a D group experience in October and November. So if you're not sure what is he talking about, what is this group about, you'll be able to come here uh, in the building and see a group go through the whole session and see what a D group uh, is and how it operates. All right. So the big difference. Oh, I guess Meg's going to say it. You hold it. Okay. <laughs> I forgot to mention, we have um, three new C groups starting in October. One is for people who are new or newer to Grace, and Doug and I are going to be leading that on Wednesday nights. And we have two remix groups starting, which is our Church Without Curtains study that um, is about the DNA of our church. So check those out online or 
talk to us. Okay. Hi, I'm Ellie Turner. I'm the Women's Ministry Coordinator. And what I believe is unique about Women's Bible Study is that we can grow, our friendships can grow uh, deeply, quickly, because we do not gather to talk about the weather or the next uh, Netflix bingeable show. We are learning about the Lord and his love, his character, and um, we're learning about ourselves and how we fit into God's great story. Uh, We're sharing laughter, tears, Um, our worries, um, our struggles. And so what's really powerful is when one woman at the table confesses her sin and struggle, and then another woman says, me too, or I've been there. And so that powerful connection, they start praying for each other. And then they are encouraging each other in their walk with Christ and meeting for coffee at Starbucks. And a beautiful friendship is formed. And I can look back and say that, you know, my closest friends today are because of us gathering around the Word of God, you know, with Sisters in Christ at a table Tuesday morning. So um, we do have a morning offering and an evening in person in Zoom. Come see me at the kiosk uh, after service. Thank you. Yes, and my name is Ryan Wagoner. I'm the photo video coordinator here at Grace, but I am one of four. Thanks, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) I am one of four uh, young adult leaders who lead a, I guess it's technically a C group on Monday nights, but it's for anyone ages 18 to 30-ish. Uh, and we normally have like 25 to 35 people show up, but we love engaging young adults here. So I think no matter, like, you can't follow Jesus in isolation. We really do believe that. And I think that's really true for young adults. And we want to figure out how do young adults specifically do that well together, right? In peer-to-peer relationships. So we have the men's ministry, we have the women's ministry, we have other C groups, we have D groups. And if you're a young adult, there's a space just for you to engage on topics that we really think are important for young adults to talk about. I mean, we just got out of a 12-week series talking all about sexuality. And it has been incredible. So please, if you're a young adult, come join us Monday nights at 7 o'clock. So the young adult-ish group, I'm not sure what ish means, but all you got to do is show up on Monday night, 7 o'clock. There's no pre-sign up. If you want to do the women's Bible study, best way to do that is get the kiosk back there on your way out. Yeah, will give you all the information. Uh, both Sandy and Meg will be at the Connection Corner. You can stop in and talk to them. If you are uh, in your first year at Grace and you want to be part of the group that we're starting, just stop and tell Meg and we'll get you plugged into that. Thank you, guys. You can take that. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, gather, connect. The third one is serve. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do a good work that God prepared in advance for you to do. Those good works are that place where you can serve. We believe that you will never really be uh, fulfilled. You will never really find your purpose until you find that place that God has called you, equipped you, and given you passion to serve. So those are what we call the outer essentials. The inner essentials um, are just as important, but they're a little bit different. The first is generosity, being generous with everything that God has given you, your time, your talent, your treasures, everything God has given to you. If God has blessed you in any way, he's blessed you so that you'll be a blessing to others. The idea of living open-handedly and being generous with everything you do. Uh, The next one is influence, that you would be a person who is willing to share your faith with other people. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, right? It's that idea of being equipped to uh, tell your friends and lead your friends closer to Jesus. And then the last one, which I would say is the heart of the whole thing is devotion. Now, here's the deal with devotion. It's not doing devotions, which is very important, and we talk about that on Sunday morning. It's about having a heart that's fully devoted to God, right? The scriptures tell us that the eyes of the Lord search throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him so that he can show themselves strong on their behalf. So this is about your allegiance, your of being fully devoted to God. So those are the six essentials, but I specifically uh, wanted to talk with morning about the essential of the gathering. I think we can all agree, if you just looked at the six essential, that all three of these outer essentials, because there are things that we do in community, have taken a hit during this pandemic season. It's been difficult to uh, do church in any kind of normal way. It's been difficult to connect in our small groups as we, as we normally do. It's been difficult to even find where we're supposed to serve through this whole thing. But what we do want you to hear is that we believe the gathering is important. And I want to be really careful how I say this, um, but we've put a lot of time 
put a lot of money, a lot of energy into creating a great online experience. And we will continue to do that because we believe it's important for you when you are not feeling well, when there are circumstances where you're out of town for a way for you to stay connected. But we also believe nothing replaces the in-service experience. Something happens in this, amen. Something happens in this room that cannot be recreated online. Again, I, I, I want to be careful how I say this. I know that there's, there's still uh, risks out there. I know that there's still factors out there that I know that some people are not able to come back into the building quite yet. But here's what I would like to say to you. If you have re-engaged out there, then we're asking you to re-engage in here. I'll say it again. If you've re-engaged, if you're going shopping, if you're hanging out with your friends, if you're going to the mall, if you're going to the movie theater, if you've re-engaged uh, with society out there, it's time for you to re-engage. And here's what we're, we're battling. Some of us have just gotten used to uh, eating French toast and watching the service, right? It's very convenient, right? And I get that. It is convenient. And I've talked to many of you who just said, man, we've just, we've just found it to be really easy to stay at home and watch. And again, we are glad that you're online. We're glad that there is a, 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 an online opportunity for you. But we also, as your, as your shepherds, as your pastor, as your friend, want to encourage you to get back into the building and to get back into what happens in this room. Because something happens when we're together that can't be recreated there. And here's the fact. You need to be here, but we need you to be here. You have a ministry when you're here. It's, there's something that goes on in this room. So I am encouraging you, if the only reason you are online is convenience, we're encouraging you to come back. I also just want to remind you that we've created a safe opportunity for people to come. If you want to come and continue to wear a mask, there's a whole section that are masks only. You can come to church and never interact with somebody within 15, 20 feet that's not wearing a mask. So it can be safe for you to be here regardless. So we would love for you to be a part of what's happening here at Grace. So enough beating up on you, but that's what I wanted to say this morning about the sex essentials. All right, no coincidence that this morning we are talking about Relationship Matters, a new series that we're launching this week. And for me, the importance of relationship and the need for relationship has never been made more clear than it has over the last 18, 19 months of navigating through that. If, if the pandemic has taught us anything, is that relationships really do matter that we need to be connected to one another to be spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy. So what we're going to do, excuse me, over the next eight weeks is we're going to dive into the book of Philippians. And as we do this, we're going to discover how to strengthen our relationship with God, but also how to strengthen our relationship with one another, how to have better relationships within our home and school, wherever you are interacting with people. What we're going to talk about for the next eight weeks, if you listen, if you apply what God has for you, you will have stronger relationships. And I chose the book of Philippians because there is no other letter in the New Testament like Philippians. It is called a letter of friendship. Unlike a lot of the other letters where Paul is exercising his, his apostolic authority and he's, he's sending some type of letter of correction or trying to deal with a problem within the church. And there's a little bit of that in Philippians. But for the most part, Philippians is just this beautiful letter of friendship. If I were writing a letter to a close friend just expressing how much I love them, it would be different than if I were writing a letter to somebody in the congregation about something they needed to do or something they needed to stop doing. There's, a, there's a, just a real difference in the book of Philippians. I think it's worth noting that Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul from prison. And as I thought about this this week and as I just sat with the book, I think what amazes me most is how this letter is so full of joy and encouragement when you consider the circumstances in which the writer is living in, right? And I thought to myself, man, if anybody has a right to be a little bit embittered, a little bit disenchanted maybe, a, a little bit grumpy, whatever the, the word would be, you would think it would be the Apostle Paul. After all, he's doing what God has called him to do, and now he's in prison. He's lost his freedom to travel about, and, and he's, yet when he writes this letter, it's just full of joy and encouragement. He actually says in this letter, which we're going to see later on, it's my imprisonment, excuse me, <coughs> 
It's my imprisonment that has actually advanced the gospel. He says, I'm imprisoned by the grace of God. How cool is that? What, kind of, what a great attitude that we can kind of glean from Paul, right? And, and he's making it clear to the church in, in Philippi saying, here, just so you know, your friendship and your partnership has been part of what's carried me through this difficult season. Your relationship with me truly matters. Now, here's fair warning. As your pastor, I am going to give you some homework. I'm going to ask you to participate with me over these next eight weeks because I think God has something for us as a church. So I'll talk about that at the very end. So grab your Bibles, grab your electronic readers, whatever you use uh, at home. We encourage you to bring with you to take notes. Um, I would encourage you to use an electronic version to find an app where you can actually click and take notes even if it's on Sunday morning. So like uh, I use Olive Tree. If you use that, you can click on it. It gives you a little box. You can put your notes in. Uh, bring a pad of paper. I encourage you to write in your Bible. I brought it to, uh, to show you this. This is Philippians. Underline things, write things, you know, put notes in it. Bring your Bible with you, take notes. If you are listening, if you are sitting in church and God says something to you, write it down in the margin. If you hear a word that shimmers, a word that stands out to you, underline it, highlight it. It will help you when you go back and you're reading on your own to remember what the letter is all about, what God is doing. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's cool, we're okay with that. There's a Bible under your seat and we are on page 980, so... Have you found it? We're going to read Philippians. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read Philippians. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. So if you don't mind standing, get the blood going. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Lord, I pray as we uh, spend these next eight weeks in Philippians, I pray that your spirit would move through this congregation. I pray that you would help us to hear what you want us to hear, that you would help us to do the very thing you're calling us to do. I pray that we would be people who model this idea of hear and obey that we're gonna talk about in a few minutes. Lord, our prayer this morning is a prayer that we have every Sunday that people would leave church different than they came because they have interacted with the living God. We pray that you would just speak a word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you're wondering if relationships truly matter, you don't have to go very far in the book of Philippians to already see this played out. So look at verse one. Paul writes these words. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And there's something profound in this opening phrase for us to grasp in this greeting. Paul is an ex apostle, right? Paul is got this incredible position of authority within the early church. Uh, he is, uh, without a doubt, next to Jesus, the greatest church planter in human history, right? Paul was actually taught by Jesus in some kind of supernatural way, the risen Jesus, after his life, his death, his resurrection, meets with Paul and instructs Paul personally. Paul's involved in all kinds of, of miracles and miraculous moments. All that to say, Paul is a total stud, right? Like the, 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 the dude has got it going on. Yet, in this introduction, he doesn't say, I, Paul, and my assistant Timothy. He puts Timothy, his protege, on equal footing. 
Here's a little side note, something that I just thought a lot about when I was putting this, this sermon together. We need to beware of the celebrity Christendom, right? The rock star pastor is sometimes a very dangerous thing, right? That there is this picture of Paul humbling himself and, and raising up his coworker to the same level of him. And you just need to be aware as you follow other, other groups. And, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. I'm just telling you that, that pay attention to how the spotlight is shared, Right, media hounds and celebrities, they, they want to stand alone, but Paul sets his protege on equal footing on his own level. Just a little bit of background. Timothy has been with Paul now for several years and kind of the modus of operation is they would travel, they would go into new cities, they would meet people, they would lead people to Christ and they would plant a church in that particular city or or region. And sometimes Timothy would stay behind and help to get the church established and then he would catch up with Paul later. But that was what they were doing. They were traveling and planting churches in new areas. And we know from Acts 16 that, that Timothy was there when the church in Philippi was established, and we also know that there is something very unique about Paul's relationship with Timothy. So if you still have your Bibles open, look at verse 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. So Paul says this to Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him. Imagine being Timothy. Imagine having an apostle say that of you, man, I, I have no one like Tony. And I, I have no one like Will. I, I have no one like Wayne. That, that idea of being recognized, of being seen. But he says, I have no one like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare. We see Paul holding his, his friend in high regard, right? High esteem, putting, not putting himself above his friend. But, but there they are on equal footing. And then he says, Paul and Timothy, look at what it says, servants of Christ Jesus. That word servants is the word slave. And I think somewhere along the way, we began to translate the word servant because it was a little bit more politically correct maybe, or a little bit easier to digest, easier to hear. The word is servant is less bristly than the word slave, right? But the word means slave, whether it's politically correct, whether it's a little bit offensive to us, the word that Paul is using is the word slave. Paul and Timothy, slaves to Christ. What does that mean? Well, if you are a slave, you are not your own. Right, You belong to the master. The slave doesn't speak on their own. The, the slave doesn't act on their own. The slave has, listen to this, no personal rights. As a slave to Christ, he's saying, now here's what I want you to hear. This is not a religious platitude. Like this is not just not, not like a cute thing that, that he would say just to get their attention. When Paul says we are slaves to Christ, he means we are slaves to Christ. We have no personal rights. If God says go, we go. If God says stay, we stay. We are slaves to Christ. This is the very heart of discipleship. That we are people who would hear the voice of God in our lives and that we would act and obey when God speaks to us. It's the very heart of what it means to be a slave to Jesus Christ. So if God says go, you go. If God says stay, you stay. If God says start doing something, you start doing something. If God says stop doing something, you stop doing something. Think about Abraham. Probably our, one of our, our best examples of this idea of hear and obey. Abraham uh, is told by God, hey, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your income. I want you to leave everything that's familiar, everything that you know. And I want you to go someplace. And by the way, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Right? And the Bible says Abraham believed God. He did what God wanted to do. And because he believed God, God credited to him righteousness or saw him as righteous. It's the very heart of hear and obey. Abraham was a slave to the will of God in his life. God said, go. So he went. When I was writing this, it made me think of Pastor Kevin. I don't know if you guys know this part of Pastor Kevin's story, but Pastor Kevin was uh, gainfully employed and very happy in Oklahoma. And God said, I want you to move to Detroit. And he said, to what? 
right? And God said, Detroit. He said, well, I've never actually been to Detroit, God. I'm not sure why you want me to move to Detroit. But he heard the voice of God. So this is long before we'd ever even had a conversation. He didn't know anything about Grace Community Church. We didn't know anything about Kevin Dupree. But Kevin came here on a prayer trip and just walked the city and prayed through the city. And said, God, if you want me to go, I'll go. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But in that process, we, we met and and Kevin uprooted his family and, and uprooted his career and came. And are we the benefits of Pastor Kevin and the Dupree family being a part of us? Certainly we are. But it's the very heart. Amen. It's what it means to be a slave to Christ. If you say go to Detroit, even though I don't know anything about Detroit... I'm going to go to Detroit. And this, this is what God wants for all of us, this heart of, of hear and obey, right? If you are a slave to Christ, you do what Christ asks you to do. You turn where God wants you to turn. You go where God wants you to go. You stay where God wants you to stay. And here's what I want you to hear. This is not punitive, and it's certainly not oppressive. It's liberating, and it's where the greatest journey with God is going to begin. That heart of, and, and sometimes it's not going to make any sense, but that's the excitement of the journey with God. So let's keep looking at the passage. So as we look at these first 11 verses, what I want to pull out from them for you, because it's going to be thematic, it's going to be a thread that runs through the entire series, is four keys you're writing this down, four keys to a healthy relationship. Four keys to a healthy relationship. And the first thread or the first key that we see, not only here but throughout this entire letter, is the idea of humility. Paul is humble enough to realize that he has this co-worker named Timothy. And he brings Timothy up to this equal footing as he writes the letter. Paul and Timothy are humble enough to be slaves to Christ. Now here's what you need to know. Humility has nothing to do with insecurity. It has nothing to do with being shy. It has nothing to do with being mousy. It's realizing that everything you have, get this, everything, capital E, everything you have is a gift from God. Right down to the breath in your lungs. Right, your ability to get up, your ability to drive, your ability to turn on your TV and watch online, your ability to comprehend, your ability to talk, your ability to think clearly, it's all a gift from God. All of those, those, those abilities that God has given you, whether you can dance or you can teach or you can uh, sing, whatever God has given you, it is all a gift from God. And humility is that realization Right, That all that you have, everything that you have is a gift from God. Pride says, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look what, what, what I've put together. That's pride. And the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul actually writes about this concept of humility, and we'll unpack this when we get to it in the series. But look at uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing. It's pretty all-inclusive. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, there's that word, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, meaning it's okay to look to your own interests. What does it say? Don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if you want your relationship with God to flourish, this is the place to start. Actually, if you want your relationship with your spouse to flourish, this is the place to start. If you want your relationship with your coworkers to flourish, this is the place to start. If you want your relationship with those you go to school with, whether you're in high school, junior high, college, this is the place to start. Humility is key. Consider others better than yourself. Consider the needs of others above your own needs. There's a movement out there called the Me Third movement. If you want to just Google it, it's great. You can even see uh, different celebrities, people talking about the Me Third movement. But the idea is God first, others second, Me Third. That mentality helps us to, to humble ourselves and to consider others better than ourselves. We're told to humble ourselves before God, and he will then lift us up. So humility is the first key that we need to have. And the second thing we see in these first 11 verses is this concept of honor, 
right? As you, as you unpack this, as we unpack this letter, we're going to see this idea of honor played out over and over. Honor is when you show a high level of respect. It's when you show great esteem to someone. When, when Paul says, I have no one like Timothy, he is honoring Timothy for serving in the kingdom so well. It's showing value or recognizing value. So, right, when, so, so we honor the people who served in the military by recognizing their service, by thanking them for their sacrifice. When you go to Washington, D.C. and you walk by the Vietnam Memorial, what is that? That is a way of honoring the people who laid down their lives for our country. There's all kinds of ways that we can honor one another. But the idea is that we see one another. We see the gifts and passions in one another. We see the image of God reflected in one another. And we honor them by calling them out, by saying, I see God in you. And if you read this letter, you're going to see Paul over and over seeing God at work in the people in Philippi, seeing God at work in Timothy, excuse me, calling that out and honoring them in the process. We honor someone when we recognize a job well done or an accomplishment or their faithfulness. You honor your kids when you see their gifting and you say, man, you are so good at that. Right, keep doing it. You, God has given you that gift. Keep, keep doing it. You are so special. You, we honor one another when we do the same thing. So culture of honor. I want to just show you real quick some places where we see both humility and honor in these first 11 verses. Look at verse 3. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, and making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right? These words are oozing with, with gratitude and recognition. He's saying to the church in Philippi, I see the way you have come alongside me. I recognize your contribution to the ministry that God has called me to. I'm thankful for how you've done this. And he calls them co-laborers. You have labored with me in this. Look at verse 6. I'm sure this, he who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion the day of Christ. What is he saying? I see God at work in you. I see God at work in you. And guess what? He's not going to abandon you. He's going to keep doing this good thing in you. It is a way of honoring the fact that you see God at work in someone else. Jump down to verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. What is he saying? He said, you're good at this. Church in Philippi, you guys are good lovers of people. I see that you are good lovers of people. And I'm going to pray that your love abounds even more. He's recognizing the good that they are doing. He's recognizing the love that they're producing. And he's saying, I'm praying that the, even that love that you have would abound more and more and more. This is the verse that's grabbed my attention all week. I started doing, getting into this message on Monday morning, and as soon as I read it, this is the verse that jumped off the page. And I began to pray, like, God, what would it look like for us as a church for our love to abound more and more? And here's what I would say to you as a church. You are a loving and generous church. I, I've been here a long time, but every time a need arises in the body, the church comes through. Every time. Every time, if someone is hurting and we bring it before you, people uh, rally to I mean, every time I present something, you guys rally to it. You are an incredibly loving and generous church. But what does it look like for our love to abound more and more and more? What does it look like for us to give more, to, to do more than, than what God has called us to do? It's, it's a beautiful picture of us, of us growing in this capacity. It could change the church. It could change the community, right? That our love would abound more and more. That's been our prayer all week. That's going to be our prayer going forward throughout this series. Lord, teach us what it looks like for our love to abound more and more and more. All right, two more words that I want to throw at you. Again, these will be threads or keys that are throughout the entire letter. We see humility, we see honor, and then we see encouragement, and we see prayer. Humility, honor, encouragement, and prayer. Let's talk about encouragement for a minute. Paul is encouraging them to stay the course, right? He's encouraging them never to be satisfied with where they are, but to push themselves to the next level, Encouragement is a catalyst for achieving more 
than we think we can. Let me say that one more time. Encouragement is a catalyst for achieving more than we think we can. When you are the recipient of someone who is an encourager, suddenly you accomplish more than you even thought you could. Let me give you a great example of this. We have this program here at Grace called The Journey. It's a nine-month intense discipleship process delivered in a small group. Meg and I lead a journey group. We have other leaders that lead journey groups, but we take people through a very intense nine-month process. At the end of that process, we go to high adventure camp, which is not easy to do in Michigan where everything is flat, but we go to high adventure camp, and when we're at high adventure camp, we eat together, we worship together, we sit under teaching together. Uh, Mostly what we do is we celebrate this nine-month of completion, and every year we do something called high ropes, right? We, we literally uh, get up onto the, 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 the ropes that are up in the air and we uh, learn about ourselves. We learn about our limitations. We go through it. Rather than me talk about high ropes, I wanted to show you a little video of the high ropes course in action. Filming it. Your boys will be proud. This is for your boys. (laughs) My favorite. Look at her face. You know what she's saying? I did it. Right? I I did it. But if you listen to that, you can hear people down there, they're yelling her name, Carol, you can do it. Come on, you got what it takes. People, if if when we do high ropes course and you look down, People are literally praying for the people. Not, you know, Lord, don't let them fall because nobody ever really falls. They're all in harness. They're praying, you know, help them to get it done. Help them do it. And people always accomplish more than they think they can. Some people say, I can't even go up there. Next thing you know, they're running around on the course like crazy. Here's the two takeaways that that come every year. So we've done this, I don't even know how many years we've done it. We've done it year after year after year. And there's always two takeaways from High Adventure Camp and from the ropes course particularly. First, is that idea that people can accomplish more than they think they can when they are being prayed for and encouraged. Over and over, people say, I can't. And then with the encouragement and the prayers, they do it. Like, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I didn't think I was going to be able to climb up and stand on that pole. I always think that video when the guy jumps would be better if we just left it when we're going out of the screen. Huh, wonder what happened to that guy. Anyway, kind of my sick mind at work here. Anyway, people always accomplish more. And the second takeaway every year that we are doing the high ropes course is we need to be as encouraging back here when we are back in the normal world as we are when we're out there playing around at high adventure camp. After all, isn't living life faithfully with Jesus harder than Climbing around on a high ropes course isn't being a single mom harder than jumping off of a pole, isn't being a student trying to figure out how to navigate school, walking faithfully with Jesus amidst all the pressure of society harder than whatever high ropes course we could put in front. Some of you are like, nope, high ropes course is definitely harder. But no, it is. Life is harder than any of that, yet we are so less likely to stand behind somebody and say, bro, you got what it takes. You can do this. You can do it, man. You got it. I'm praying for you. You got what it takes. Imagine if we were people of encouragement, right? If we were really coming behind each other and encouraging one another and praying for one another, how much more we could accomplish, not just as individuals, but as a church as well. God is calling us to something more. So Paul writes this letter. In the very beginning of the letter, first 11 verses, he talks about this partnership. The word is koinonia. Twice in these opening 11 verses, he uses this word koinonia, which is like this mutual support. It's the idea of me giving what I have to help you to be successful. You giving what you have to help them to be successful. You giving what you have to help them be successful. It's the idea of living out in this this communal sort of way where we see each other and we help each other to, to accomplish more. And then he uses this word that your love may 
may abound more and more. The love he's talking about is agape love. It's got nothing to do with warm fuzzies. It's got everything to do with serving one another. Agape love is exemplified by Jesus on the cross. That yet while we were sinners, he died for us. It's, it's the epitome of grace that, that you serve one another, not because they deserve it, no, but because you can. Right, God has blessed you and you can be a blessing to others. It's this beautiful picture. And so we have this opportunity to live this out. The book of Philippians is calling us to something more, something better. It's calling us to live differently in our, in our homes, in our church, in our community, in our schools. It's challenging us to be people where the love of God abounds in us. So now I'm gonna circle back to the fair warning about homework. This is where you all kind of shrink down in your seats a little bit. All right, I've been praying. Oh wait, God, what does it look like for our love to abound more and more? What would a good first step for us to be as a church? And this is what I believe God wants us to do. At least once a week, I would like it if it were more than once a week, but the minimum to accept the challenge is at least once a week, I would like you to ask God to bring a person to mind so start there. God, God, who do you want me to pray for? When God gives you that, that person, you, maybe you'll see them, maybe you'll hear their, their name, maybe you already did. When I just said that, you know who you're gonna, then, then what I want you to do is pray for that person. But I want you to pray specifically. Right, here's what I mean. Like uh, God may say, Doug, I want you to pray for Ana Ebright. Okay, uh, God, I just pray that you bless Ana Ebright. Good prayer, but not very specific. Right? But Ana just, took a job at Grace, and so maybe what I pray, I pray that you would help her to understand what her role is at Grace, and that she would flourish in her new role at Grace, and that, that she would have impact in the community through her, her work with helping people to get connected, right? You're, so what am I doing? I'm thinking about the person. I'm thinking about what they're going through. Maybe I would, I would pray for her and raising three young girls in today's society and how hard that would be, right? So when the person comes to mind, pray for them specifically. Think about their life. Think about what they're going through and pray for them specifically. Then what I want you to do is I want you to write them a note. Now, for some of you, that will be a piece of paper with an envelope and a stamp. Probably over 40 if that's how you do it. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I told the story in the first service. I didn't know it was going to come out, but I decided I wanted to be pen pals with my five-year-old granddaughter. And so we've been sending letters back and forth. But one day she said to me, why are we doing this? I see you all the time. Why do I have to put it in that box and wait for, I'm like, I don't know, because it's fun to get mail. But she's, she's, not, she's not quite getting it quite yet. But anyway, the point is, you may want to send a letter and put a stamp on it. That's great. But maybe you just want to send them an email if that's more your speed, or if you want, just send them a text. But when you send them a text, tell them that you see them. Tell them what you see in them. Tell them what you've been praying for them. And how many of you would like to get that email or that text or that letter in the mail? I would. Well, then be that. Like, like send that. Just think if we just did that daily. Just one person each day. God, bring somebody in mind. Pray for him. You write him a note. This is how I've been praying for you. This is what I see in you. It would change the church. Right? It would, why? Because we can always do more than we think we can when we have people praying for us and encouraging us. It'll help us to go further. So if you're new at Grace and you think, well, I don't know anybody who I pray for, then, then apply it to who you do know. Just ask God to bring someone to mind. Write them the note. Write them the email. Write them the text. Whatever works. Tell them that you see them. Imagine if 500 of us took up this challenge and those letters were going back and forth. It would be fantastic. It would change the trajectory of the church. Penny taught me something a long time ago. Penny's on staff here. She's a mentoring pastor here. And she said to me, Doug, when you refuse to pray for somebody, you are denying yourself the opportunity to fall in love with them. Because something happens when I pray for you. My heart changes towards you. Like mountains are moved when we pray for, that's why Jesus said pray for your enemies because he knew if you earnestly prayed for your enemy, your heart would change towards them. Like bitterness 
goes away. The mountain of bitterness, mountain of unforgiveness, mountains of, of, of resentment, they go away when we're willing to pray for one another. Something profound happens in the cosmic world and in our inner world. We are willing to pray for one another. Paul's prayer for the Philippians church is that their love would abound more and more. My prayer for you, our prayer as your leaders, is that our love would abound more and more and more. That God would do something on this church at Moros 994 that would be profound and have impact not just on this community, but on the community out there as well. Let's pray. Lord, I believe you have something for us in this four chapter letter. I believe that you want us to hear something. You want us to see something. I believe that you want to take us to a new place as a church where our love would abound more and more. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. Help us to to take hold of this letter. Help us to, to take up the challenge and pray for one another and encourage one another in writing, to write our own little mini books of Philippians to our friends and coworkers and co-laborers. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Paul. It's not as big a surprise as second service. First service is really like... <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. Um, we have a tradition here at Grace that when someone has been on staff for 15 years, we celebrate them. I'm not going anywhere. Please don't. Um, and today we are celebrating Doug Kempton. Um, he's been on staff, yeah, 15 years. Six years as our lead pastor. And um, I don't want to do other talking, so we made a little video. So watch this. Hey, Doug, 15 years. Congratulations. Way to break the mold, set new patterns. So proud of you. You're a great shepherd, great pastor. I don't know about great, but really, really good. Mm -hmm. uh, pastor and a shepherd and a friend. Love you, brother. And I want to say, hey, Doug, shout out to Meg, too. That first, I wanted you to know that I appreciate you. And I appreciate the fact that you are a present pastor. And I appreciate the fact that you lead by example and you're always working and I respect that. I do, I do, I do. We'll keep it short and say thank you for being someone who leads with passion and conviction. Someone who is, um, you are a man who is after God's heart. Hey Doug, my friend that became my pastor. And what a joyous bend uh, to have you as a friend to travel the world with you, to do life with you. You have encouraged me, you have taught me, you have um, stood alongside of me and supported me in, in so many ways. Douglas, on behalf of the original Pancake House, I'd like to thank you for the countless meals you've eaten here over your 15 years as pastor of Grace Community Church. And I am so thankful to God for you. I have learned so much. I'm a better woman because of your preaching, your teaching, and your friendship. Congratulations on 15 years. I have so many wonderful memories of serving with you and under your direction while I was there on staff for 10 years. So I just want to wish you and Meg and your beautiful family just a wonderful time of celebration. Uh, just know that I miss you all. Mwah. Um, I'm just amazed at the love that you and Meg pour out on us, the time you give. You never seem to be too busy for anybody. You are extremely authentic and you always say it like it is. And I think that's one of the many reasons you are such a great leader at Grace. Congratulations, Douglas, on your 15 year anniversary here at Grace Community Church. We love you. We love what you've done here. We love what God has done through you here. Can't wait to see what the next 15 years brings. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, on behalf of, oh, you guys are awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. Beware the celebrity pastor, right? <laughs> Doug just said, be, beware of the celebrity pastor, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Yes. Hey, we just have a little something uh, that we want to give you. And Thank you. Um, just, 
I couldn't say it any better than the video. And so now we're gonna have Pastor Kevin pray for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I get to pray for Douglas. How many times did he get called that in there? Dougie Fresh, let us pray. If you can extend your hand towards Pastor Doug here, that would be great. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, God, thanking you for life, Lord. Thanking you for the breath of life that Doug just preached about, God. And we uh, specifically on this day um, are thankful and grateful for his life, Lord, for his service, God. He preached about being a slave for you, God. Seeking to say yes to the things that you want him to say yes to and no to the things that you want him to say no to, God. And, God, we just thank you for um, Doug's actions in that, God. You've helped him navigate through life, God, to get him right here um, serving here at Grace for 15 years, God. God, you ordained him, you called him, and, God, you helped him get to this place, God. We thank you for his awesome and wonderful spouse, Meg, Lord. Amen. Whose journey with him as well, Lord, who um, even may coming from him say he probably wouldn't be here right where he is today if it wasn't for um, Meg, Lord. God, we thank you for his awesome family, his children, God, and his grandchildren, Lord. God, he's built a, a ministry through his family, Lord, that um, he models well with and loving them right in front of us, God. And so we're thankful for that, Lord. God, we just pray that as he moves forward, God, from this 15-year mark, God, that um, you put an exponent on that, God, times two, God. Let him make it to 150, 200, Lord, of just serving, God. God, we pray that you keep his mind sharp, Amen. keep his mind fresh. God, keep him energized to do your work, to love your people, and God, just to be a great shepherd, Lord. We're so grateful for it. Pastor Doug, Lord, and God, we continue to present him and place him in front of you, Lord, so that he can continue to do the work that you've called him to for your kingdom. May you be glorified by Doug's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Now teach me how to Dougie. Teach, teach me nope. how to Dougie. Nope. Nope. Hey, uh, we have a group of people that pray for you uh, before the service starts and this morning before this particular service. Uh, there was just a sense that some of you are dealing with strongholds of fear and anger and rage, and we would love to pray for some victory uh, over you for that, that there's some dealing with uh, some restlessness. Maybe God is asking you to go and you don't want to hear him. I don't know. Um, and then just pray for uh, someone who's dealing with bullying, uh, maybe felt like it was maybe some bullying of one of your children. Uh, name calling and just some hurts with that. We'd love to pray over that. And then someone has some shoulder pain. We'd love to meet you down here. So if you have a physical, emotional need, we have some great people trained to meet you down here. If you're online, there's a number on your screen right now. You can dial that number and someone who's trained will meet with you and pray for you. Uh, we believe that God hears us and God answers our prayer. So we encourage you to come down and be a part of that. Thank you. Thank you for honoring me and blessing me. And thank you for letting me be your pastor here at Grace. We love you. Get into Philippians and send somebody a note. Amen. Bless you.